I'm going to ask you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11, and we will join you there in a moment. It's important that I say thank you to some people, and we'll have a better time to do this on Friday evening uh, here in our sanctuary at um, 6 o'clock, I think is the time. So I want to invite all of you there, and there'll be a lot of friends here. I want to say a special welcome to the Perkies today. Mark and Susie, friends for a long, long time, evangelists, and they've been here numerous times. And just, it's a special honor to have you, especially as evangelists. I know you need to be preaching today somewhere, <laughs> Mark and Susie sing at both our son's weddings. And just, what a, what a treat to have you. Would you welcome them today? Raise your hand over here, just to get the guys see them. I haven't been able to scan the audience and check everybody else out, but I can tell you I have some family members who are here, and uh, from, I guess, the three rows of us here, uh, what a delight to have my family. If you're a member of my family, would you just stand, please, and let us welcome you here among us. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so honored. I want all of you to sit down but except Mom. Uh, I don't know if you can get her on the camera or not, but this mom, it's the first time you've been in church in probably two years, maybe. Uh, she's in an assisted care facility in Pauls Valley, Oklahoma. She's 94 and a half years old, and I love you dearly. Thank you for being here today. <laughs> Taking all that energy. I've cost her a lot. But she's still, <laughs> you, you, my sisters, just remain quiet. It'll be, it'll be a lot better if you do. I would think it might be better. Uh, all of you are so precious to us. Thank you for so much, Patsy. I just saw you. So, so delighted to see so many of you. I do want to have you here at six o'clock Friday night. We're going to have a grand time, and and uh, we're going to play some music, and we're going to worship, and that's that's what we were born to do: was praise the Lord and glorify Him, and that's what we want to do. And I'd love for you to be here and, and join with us. I could travel this morning many many directions, literally dozens, if not hundreds, of directions. How many of you know that this book has a lot to teach us about life? I, was, I could be tempted to start with 35 years ago when I came, Brother Jack, 34 and a half years ago. Uh, we could reminisce, and it would be a lot of fun, a lot of memories that were of trials, a lot of memories of blessings. Uh, we could do that, but maybe some other time. I, I think we could rehearse, if you will, some great stories about how we've all changed and how the Lord has helped us. Perhaps another time. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to tell you that we who are twice born men and women and young people are going to win in the end. We're already winners because we've been recorded by our names in the last book of life. How many of you tend on being there? It has been my place for forty five years to stand behind a pulpit 
the place of the oracle. If you read its description and its history, that was a powerful place. I couldn't believe that as a young man, the Lord asked me to speak as an oracle. It was beyond my comprehension. But once I answered the call, I did so with a reverential awe of God. I have never walked to a pulpit. Maybe some guys like Perky and Martin and Floyd and all these guys that are more professional at it than I am. I've never walked to a pulpit that I didn't have some kind of awe about what I'm going to say because of the weightiness of the words of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I uh, have tried to preach the Word of God, not, uh, not just some philosophical thing, but the Word itself. Ladies and gentlemen, we must build on the absolute, total truth and the eternality of the Word of God. It's been my privilege to proclaim the gospel. I want to say what a privilege, but I also want to state what a responsibility. It has been major for me, and I thank all of you this morning for all of you men and women who have placed your life for years under the direction of the Lord as pastor. I just wonder how many of you here were here the first service that Linda and I have given. If you were here the very first service, raise your hand. I want to see. There's Floyd. Uh, first service, <laughs> 34 years changes things, doesn't it? About seven people, I think. Wow, God's brought us a long way. Hebrews 11. One of my favorite stories, I'm just going to tell it to you. If you've been around very long, you've heard it, but it's been a long time. Back years ago, our Department of Foreign Missions leader in the Assemblies of God, J. Philip Hogan, told the story. He talked about two women who were having coffee together, and they were discussing their children. And one of the ladies was saying, I tell you, after all these years, 12, 13 years, we are finally, and John, everybody picks on the name Johnny, so you're elected. I tell you, all our work has finally paid off. And the other lady said, how so? And she said, well, I tell you what, little Johnny never wants to take a bath. He never wanted to wash his elbows. He never wanted to take a shower. He never wanted to make his bed. He never wanted to keep his room clean. All those things. that The husband and I just worked on that and worked on it and worked on it. And the other lady said, yeah. And what she said, well, let me just tell you, it's finally all come to fruition. Our, our labor's paid off. You should see his room and how it works and all that. And the lady said, great. She said, how about you and I having tea this afternoon? She said, wonderful. So the lady came back for tea. And after a few moments, she said, about our meeting this morning and our discussion, and she said, I want you to know that 
I'm real proud of the teaching that you have given your son, and I think it's right and all that. She said, but would I, I would really like to tell you what really has changed your son, that all of a sudden he's in the shower, his room is clean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, look out the window. The bus drove up. The little 12, 13-year-old boy got out carrying two sets of books, and right behind him was the prettiest little blonde-headed thing you had ever seen in your life. Back in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, I did the history on this, and Brother Hogan used that to introduce a message that morning, and I found out that it's 200-plus years old. I will never forget the message he preached that day. Here it was, the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power, the, the expulsion of that which was there and suddenly everything from the core to the exterior out to the outside comes an entirely different power that so changes you. It was called an affection. When I was five years old at First Assembly of God in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma in 1955, that power of an expulsion power of a new affection hit me, and I have never been the same. I came to Christ. I was born again. And to be sure, Satan has warred against my heart for years, but nothing's ever challenged the affection of Christ in my heart away from him, my eternal Redeemer and Savior. <laughs> How many of you have had that affection changed? Wow. What an awesome experience. And now for 45 plus years, it's my privilege to obey God's call and tell others. I want you to look at the scripture with me today, and I'm going to ask you to pay close attention to it. I'm going to take us on a little bit of a theological journey and a language journey, but I want to get the background. If you're under the 50, years age of 60 I want you to hear me especially closely today why did I pick that just because I'm older and most of you are younger and I want the next generation to hear what I have to say today because if the Lord tarries I don't know what you're going to face but I can tell you the truth of the word of God today and hope you leave here with an affection that will expose anything in your life other than the absolute love and favor and the, your heart toward the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Amen. Hebrews 11 holy ground. It's called the faith chapter, the hall of fame of faith. Bear with me. Please listen to these words. If you look at chapter, of, chapter 11, verse 1, notice two words. Now faith is the substance. The substance of faith. Scripture says faith is the substance. The word substance in the Greek is hypostasis. It means the sense of something that is foundational, something that is basic, rock solid, it is a concrete reality on which other things are built. Faith is the substance. The, the root word of that stasis means the place. It means a standing pillar, something that cannot be moved. The hoopo is that which is, means underneath or below. Together, this, this hoopostasis means this. 
something solidly founded, something that is assured. And the Hebrew writer of Hebrews 11, he says this, faith is not, young people hear this, faith is not an imaginary product of the mind fabricated out of its own philosophical needs or relation, realistic dreams, but faith is that which is firm and solid and of real existence. Real existence. My words are these, I wrote this. Faith is the solid certainty of that for which we hope based upon reality of solid experience and existence. The writer of that text goes on and says this. Faith is the evidence. Again, the Greek is pragmatos elekos. It's translated into one word, evidence. This first part, pragmatos, it means something that is critical. It is evidence. Listen to this. All of you who say, how do you know the world says who created the world, how we know, this writer speaks of it, so follow me closely. It is something that's critical. Pragmatos, something of consequence, something of the utmost importance. And elekos implies a thought or belief that has been cross-examined, tested for its validity, brought to proof or place under scrutiny for possible confutation. All those words are simply this. Let me put it in plain language. Ladies and gentlemen, faith is based upon that which is tested and is crucial. And what is it, if we ask the question as human beings on a terrestrial ball, what is it that is unseen but is yet tested and important? Is it not the power of God working through his governing of all the events in history? Say what you want, but there's a power that is loose upon this planet that man cannot stop. Sometimes God does anything he wants. Wow. And from time to time, catch this intro, from time to time, nations and their people experience the mighty acts of God that they cannot deny. The Red Sea was parted. The flood did come. That's important for us to know. Saints, listen to me. Our faith does not create reality. But it is based on the reality of God's government and his power displayed on this planet so the human being can know there's something beyond some imaginary faith. It is by this faith, turn loose, listen to this, turn loose in history by the faithful action of prophets and believers before us that God has brought miracles to bear upon nations and their history. You cannot write God out of history. He's emphatically there from page one to end. Thank you, God. I want to declare to this generation this morning especially, I want to declare to you something. It's so important. Adults, children, youth, church, biblical faith our faith is the only faith of solid substance. It is the only faith of solid substance. 
I put on our marquee sign several weeks ago, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. <laughs> In verse 3, you see something that said something like this. The things seen made of things invisible. Brother Mark, what, what kind of language is that? Okay, just think about that. Look, look at verse 3. The things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. How can things be seen of something that's invisible? I just want to talk to you about faith a minute. Watch this. Quickly, that I read in the commentaries, this verse 3 is faith and epistemology. Epistemology, epistemology, sorry. The structure of the formation of knowledge. We take all that we know and we form that and we come to a conclusion of knowledge. Suffice today, even science believes this. Basic unseen particles of matter are protons, neutrons, electrons that make up the atomic nuclei. But put these in relationship and build enough of them in a molecular structure and you have from things that are not seen, things which are seen. The Hebrews writer, listen to this, his statement is amazingly sophisticated in the light of contemporary understanding of physical matter. He wrote it centuries ago. Science has finally proven it that this Hebrew writer knew of the anointing of God of that which he was writing. If we, I won't take time to read it, but verses 4 through 6 give us examples of faith. Verses 7 through 12, faith and obedience. And it talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And then for this morning, I want you to follow me closely. I said this is holy ground. I want to talk about verses 13 through 40, and I want to talk about faith and the future. I want to talk about the faith of worship. The faith of worship. Read with me, if you will, verse 13. These all died, meaning all those of the Old Testament. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. How many of you know this is not our home? Strangers and pilgrims. Go down to 16. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. How many of you desire a heavenly country? Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Accounting, here's what, here's what Abraham thought in faith. Uh, Abraham, yes. That God was able to raise him, Isaac, up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What a powerful verse of Scripture. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. In Genesis 50, 
He asked that they take his bones back because he knew that God was going to deliver Israel out of Egypt back to the promised land. Take my bones with you. Look at verse, if you will, 32. And what shall I say more? I have read this probably 20 times this week and I can't get over the weightiness of it. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Do not just skip through these as I read them. Think about them. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. You know what that takes? Subdued kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, these men and women accomplished these things. Quenched the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the enemies and the aliens. Women, I don't think I have this down. Listen to this. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial mockings and scourging, yes, at the chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. How many of you think we have it rough today? They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. This next line makes me want to take my shoes off. Of whom the world was not worthy. Young people, mom and dad, generation 2022, I finally got up to date this week. I said 2021 a dozen times last week. Thank God I'm a year older. 2022, hear me. Hear me. Let me tell you what's really valuable on this planet. It's not chemicals and science, and it's not medicine, and it's not all the things that made of matter. It is you, my friend, because God, at your conception, put a soul and spirit in you, and you're an eternal creature, and you're here for a purpose, and all this is going to pass away, but what we do for God never passes away. Don't let anybody take that truth out of your mind and your heart. God can create all the gold and silver he wants. God can slap his finger and pay the tribute to Caesar. I want to tell you something. The one thing God desires and the one thing God treasures and values on planet Earth more than anything, and that's your heart. I'm totally off my notes. <laughs> of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Here it is. And all these, those people, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. How many of you want to receive the promise? I think we do. Do you realize these people went through a lot of that and did receive the promise? But watch this. And young generation, don't miss what I'm saying. They did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for who? 
Are we serious? Something better for us that they should not be made perfect or complete without us. You just let the weightiness of those words set upon your mind a minute. 2022, believers, all these in Hebrews were to be the living stones of foundation upon which others would come and be laid and carry forth the gospel for generation to generation. And thus, they would be completed in those who would come later. And here comes our contribution. We who have come later are the completing stones, giving the saints of all the joy of satisfaction. They're their faith has been be completed because of us. And read chapter 12, verse 1. They're up there witnessing, cheering us on. Thank God our value of living for God is not just for self. It's for all those who paved the way to get us here. Don't you let Satan tell you your life's not valuable. Don't you let Satan tell you that you're nothing and you're weak. Let me tell you, I've preached it for years. You and God are a majority, and he did not create you to fail. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living stones that as we travel our journey, we bonify everything of those who took the invisible and God moved, and in history we saw it become visible, and that's the God we serve. And that's why this faith is the only basic faith that will ever last eternity. Thank you, God. So the faith, that's my introduction. I want to talk to you about the faith of worship. I don't have to tell you we're in a world that's reeling and rocking in great need of God. Let me talk to you a minute about human nature, especially if you're not twice born. One of the things that plagues the human nature is this, especially in the time of tragedy or testing or difficulty, we have a tendency to forget, especially everything that is presently good. We get in trouble, we, don't, we can't see anything good. And we have a tendency to forget everything that's been good in the past. And in the midst of a tri tribulation, we have a tendency to forget or not think and conceive there will be anything good. Thank God for a twice-born mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, God always has tomorrow, and it's always going to bless you. He's going to move you forward. But here's the point. We have a tendency to always just live in the present. And we let the present circumstance outweigh anything sometime, whether we look in the past or the future. But I want us to be reminded, God's people, hear me, young people, we're imperfect here. But because I'm under the blood of Christ, I've been declared righteous, perfect in the high court of heaven. And God will not let Satan impute sin on my record. Read it in John. Listen to this. God's people are people of abundant blessing in the past. We are people of great supply, abundant supply in the present. And we best not forget, ladies and gentlemen, that we have abundant life for the future. 
Did you hear me? Abundant blessing in the past, abundant supply for the present, abundant life for the future. So in the midst of trial and test, you know what we do? You know what the Christian does when there's a great test and trial coming? You know what we do? We praise. We worship. We lift our voice to the power of God in his word. We worship. And worship we should. I believe most worship comes, first of all, obedience to God. I want to be obedient to the Lord. He saved me. I want to please him. I want to worship him in obedience. I believe we worship. It comes from relationship with God. And I believe that our worship comes from thankfulness for God. Beyond that, I believe there is a worship that comes from faith in God. Listen, we, we have to have, first of all, a relationship with God, and then we can be obedient to God and then thankful for God. But there is a faith that looks futuristic, and I'm looking to your future and my future and tell you there is a worship that comes from faith in God, in his providence, in his absolute sovereignty. I want to consider the faith of worship. We read Hebrews 11, 21. Let me just touch it again for us. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph. That was Manasseh and Ephraim. Those made the other two. If you want to know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. They were in the loins of Jacob. And that's why also, if you know the Bible story, they called Jacob Israel because all those tribes were in him. And God has a future in you too. God has something sown in you. Say amen. God believes in you. And worship leaning on top of his staff. Jacob was aged, perhaps in pain. He leans on his staff to worship. Why? I don't believe that he was worshiping because he was dying. He had lived for God for many decades. I don't believe he was worshiping because he was afraid. But why leaning on the staff? on the top of his staff. This, this Hebrew word here, leaning, is italicized. It means that it wasn't in the original, but it's placed there for clarification. And I've read in commentary after commentary, and they say that the staff in the Hebrew was a bed. In Hebrew, it means bed, but when you come to the New Testament and the Greek, the New Testament, I've checked it in both languages. The Greek is rabos. It means a cane, or a rod, or a staff. Rob means rap. The word rap means to fall, but dos means to disallow. It means to keep from falling. The staff, where's my staff? Whoever made this made it for a bigger man than me. The staff. In the Old Testament and the New Testament and Bible days, we think about the staff and we associate it with shepherds. 
But in the Holy Land, not every man had a staff. A staff was important, but it wasn't uncommon for every man to have one because of the rough mountain and terrain, because it helped them walk. It was used for protection against snakes and serpents, scorpions. It was used to guide and direct and to protect the sheep. But not everyone was a shepherd. However, almost every man had a staff. I was watching The Chosen, I think that's the name of that series the other night. Every time I saw it, every man had a staff. There's something special about a staff. In times of Jacob and Christ, there was not much paper, papyrus or skins, but not much paper available. So to read the history, and you'll find out many men throughout their lives, because they had a staff, begin to carve on their staff major events that mark the great times and the tough times of their living. They'd begin at the bottom and then mark toward the top. So at the end of their life, they had a diary or a journal, if you will, of their lives. Every chapter, I wonder, why did Jacob, as the last thing he did before dying, why did he lean on his staff and worship? I believe it was an act of faith. In his last moments, Jacob took that staff and leaned on top of it. And Jacob looked at that staff, having raised what would become the 12 tribes, those 12 boys, rem remembering every major event of his life. He began at the bottom, raised those 12 boys. I think he looked at Ephraim and Manasseh, those two grandsons of Joseph, and he said, see that notch right there? That's the day I was told your daddy had died. See that mark right there, guys? That's the mark when I found out years later he was alive. I want to see that someday, don't you? I want to see that. But look at this mark, guys. Look at this one. That's when I, that's when I lay on the ground in a place called Bethel, which means the house of God. It was a place where he and I met. But guys, watch this. I wandered away and I wandered away. It was the house of God, but I came back to that same place. See that mark right there? That's where I changed the name of Bethel to El Bethel because here's what happened to my life. I knew about the house of God, but I finally learned about the God of the house of God, El Bethel. <laughs> Every great event in Jacob's life was symbolized by staff. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. God gives every one of us in this room and everyone online, he gives us something special and causes some special things to happen in our life so that when the enemy comes in like a flood and tries to diminish our faith and tries to tell us that there's no such thing as real and genuine faith, that we can understand that God in the midst of it all had arranged some circumstances. And oh, we live in a sin-cursed planet, ladies and gentlemen, and on every hand we have issues today that plague us. But even, can I say, in the hour of death, we can be rest assured and remain faithful because God cares for his people. There are many references to that. Let me just run through some. Judah, if you remember in the Old Testament, went into his daughter-in-law who disguised herself and it tricked him. And she took Judah's signet ring and his bracelet and his staff. And when Judah went to execute her, she presented his staff. How did they know it was Judah's staff? I'll tell you why. Because the markings on the staff was a portrait of his life, and he couldn't deny it. If you remember when God spoke to Moses that I will take you and cause you to lead Israel out of Egypt, here's what he said to them. He said, take hyssop and put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. This was what they were to do. Take the blood, put it over your doorpost, have your shoes on your feet, be fully clothed, and let every man take a staff. Not every man was a shepherd, but every man take a staff. Why? I believe that God is saying, I'm about to do something that's going to be historic. I'm going to change this nation. It's going to witness from now through eternity, and it's going to be significant. And through generations, I want them to look back and mark this point in history when that which looked impossible and that which was unseen finally became something that you could see. You'll want to tell your children. Children, here's the record. Sir, be the man of your house and keep a record of what God's done for you and your family. Elisha, when the lady's son had died, he sent his servant and he said, lay my staff on this boy. This boy was deceased. Why did he say lay his staff? The staff was marked with many miracles that God had done in the past. And when that servant laid that staff on that young man, faith leaped into that house. And when Elisha arrived and he prayed, he prayed on the basis that if God has done something in the past, he can do something now, even if it's raised the dead. And suddenly that which was unseen became something that could be seen. Mark Perky at 16, 18 years old, stricken by cancer and said, you'll never see daylight. You will die. He is miraculously 105 today, aren't you, Mark? Can you stand up and say, this man was totally healed of cancer when he was a teenage boy. That which is not seen can be seen. In Mark, the New Testament 6 and 8, when Jesus sent out the 12, they weren't shepherds. The truth is they were ex-fishermen and ex-tax collectors, both of them almost despised in their society. And Jesus said these words, take nothing for your journey except a staff. Just take your staff. 
Don't take a bag. Don't pack bread. Don't take money. No backpack. Well, this whole generation would be handicapped without a backpack, wouldn't they? <laughs> no, I wonder, why did Jesus say that? I think he's saying to these disciples, I'm sending you on a journey, and you're going to carry the best message that man has ever heard. Keep a record of some of the things that people think are unseen, but I'm going to show them, and it's going to be seen, because this faith is something that has substance to it. Tell them, the, remember when I helped them then, I will help them now. I want to share this with you, and I'm closing. Ladies and gentlemen, records are important. History has been, has many great lessons. Sometimes in ministry, everybody looks at ministry sometimes and thinks, wow, how wonderful it is. I mean, I'm in a nice suit and a tie and, and uh, you know, I, I, I have an income that you've blessed me with that I can drive a nice automobile and live in a nice home. And we see that and we say, all oh, these ministers, and I think we should revere them. But let me tell you something. It's important to understand that many, many times in 40, almost 46 years, I'd get up 4 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 2, 6 o'clock, whatever, and I'd be driving all by myself. And I'm going to a hospital for a surgery or there's an emergency room. Or, and I, the old slew foot gets on your shoulder and says, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? You're going to see a man or woman and going to have surgery. You're up at the crack of dawn or before and you're driving two hours one way to see somebody and you'll see them 10 minutes. Well, you, what's wrong with you, son? You, they won't even remember you're there after anesthesia. <laughs> I'm having that without anesthesia. <laughs> and they, this, this goes on and on, all kinds of things. Like, they won't even know you're there. And you've been around enough, long enough. Listen, the first time anything goes wrong, they'll throw you away. It's so easy to just say, forget him. They'll leave you, criticize you. How many of you know the pastors don't have the corner on it, though? How many of you have been criticized? Sure we have. But that old song comes in it. You hear it. Criticizing. I, I want to just say to you who are in the ministry today, really, should we be surprised because let me tell you something, they criticized our Savior. And not even he could please everybody. But Satan will say, Brooks, you're wearing your life out. For what? What do you have to show for it? And I got to say this for my memory of my boys. In DeQueen one night, a man showed up after a church service and he was destitute, had five or six young children, no place to go. And he asked if I could get him some groceries. I asked him where he was going to be, and he told me, 
I didn't understand it, but he gave me an address. And we went home, and the day before, Saturday, Linda had bought, uh, Nina had bought about six, seven bags of groceries. <laughs> and we, I talked about this, this man and woman and these five or six, seven kids, little, all of them just stair-step, not a penny. Could you use me tomorrow? Could I work? I'm destitute. Where are you going to be tonight, he told me. I go home and I tell my boys about it. Well, you know, they got all generous and they packed up the six, seven bags of groceries. We just took the whole thing in the bag and Quint and Chad were holding them. We'd drive over to this place. When I got to the address, it broke my heart. It was an old abandoned house. Had a big old concrete porch on the front of it. And there were some cabinets in there. And these children were laying up on those cabinets, and it was hot summertime. They were hoping, I'm sure, to get some air, and we took them five, six bags of groceries. And we set them there, and that man got on his knees. I picked him back up. I said, I want to bless your kids. You come tomorrow. I'm going to help you. But for our sake, we went back home, and we decided we were going to eat something, and we realized we'd given everything we had to eat away. <laughs> and for the first time, by the way, I had this many years before you get to claim it. Actually, we had a little bit of cereal left, and we didn't have any milk. And they learned this great trick. A little can of Milnot poured in and diluted with water can make milk for your cereal. Just don't get too much water. It'll make it soggy as it can be. That night marked my kids about being generous. God always supplies. But Satan will tell you, what kind of fool is that? What kind of goofy things are those? Truth is today, my boys would not trade for that, for that experience. Satan, always going to Say you're wearing your life out. So I want to get this out. Tell my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, my family, both in the natural and in the spiritual. When that enemy comes in, I say, you foul spirit out of hell. See this staff? Satan, you see that mark right there? That's in 1955 when I became born again. That's enough to shout you down right there. You're handling this a lot better than I am. I may remember the day. See that notch right there, Satan? That's when I was wondering what I was going to do with my life. Didn't know which way to go. Uncle Sam came calling, and I got married, and God gave me a bride on that day. Other than the Lord, best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, <laughs> you ladies get a chance there. You're going to take See that mark right there, Satan? That's where God gave me two sons. And you can't have them. See this, Mark? That's when I should have been dead. Actually, there's four or five of them. 
I drilled with an electric drill one time into a 6,000, about, 20, I'm sorry, about 2,500 pound of gas line and it exploded. I'm not kidding when I say I shouldn't be here. Today, I look at that mark and say, Satan, that's the day God called me to be an oracle. See that mark right there, Satan? That's when I was asking Tyler, Texas, one morning to pray for a little baby, a little baby boy named Michael. He came up during a prayer service, asked to be anointed, and I anointed the mother, the mother. He was yet to be born, and I don't know what the medical term is, but his entire skull had not formed. And within a couple of days, they were going to have to take this child. I prayed for Michael. And let me make this very clear. There's only one healer. But that which was invisible, on Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, I got a phone call. The mother-in-law ran in with that little lady, and they told me that little Michael had a completed skull. They just took an X-ray of it. <laughs> Satan. That which is unseen is seen. The doctor said, absolutely no way. It's a miracle. I couldn't do anything. See this mark, Satan? That's when I got my two girls. And you can't have them. See this mark right here, Satan? That's when I got three grandchildren. And you can't have them. See that mark right there, devil? That's when I got a great-grandson. And you will not have him. Satan will not have that child. I will shoot mom and dad before I lose him. <laughs> Satan, God's been good to me my whole life. And I have news for you. He that has cared for me in the past, he will care for me today. And if I could do nothing else, even though I go through death, even there, I will place my weight in my faith and lean on everything God has done for me from birth to this moment in my life. If we're not careful, we get caught up in the, all that's negative. And it seems like to me that's all the news media knows. They, they try to manipulate our thoughts and our emotions for profit. Why don't we stick with the good news of the gospel? If we're not careful, we can get caught up in the world's values and its systems. And sometimes we can look at God and say, God, you've done this and you've done this. Why, why aren't you doing something now? And Lord, isn't it about time for you to make something happen? And we can look at it like that. It's easy to forget sometimes God's grace every day. God's watchfulness every day. 
God's purpose every day, God's plan every day, God's promise for the future. Saints, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, in a world filled with tragedy and selfishness and iniquity, driven by greed, riddled with war, and filled with cynicism, let the genuine people of God remember the record. Let us listen to Job. Though God slay me, finish it with me, yet will I trust him. Listen to Abraham as he cries and asks toward the God of heaven, is there anything too hard for God? And 2,000 years later, Jeremiah said, there is nothing too hard for God. You know why? Because that which was unseen in those 2,000 years had become visible and they knew it. Well, I thought you'd shout with me. Listen to Jesus. He said to his disciples, when you see these things come to pass, look up. That was the eternal promise maker saying, I'm the eternal promise keeper, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. That's why an old man in his dying hour leaned on the record of God's grace throughout his life. It was the faith of worship. That's the reason I say today, and as much as I know, I have obeyed the call of God. That's why I have spent my days so that I can stand and say to the next generation, keep the faith. Complete our faith. It is the reason I can say, Lord, today by faith I bless my children I bless my grandchildren I bless my great grandson I bless this church church young people church Christ's legacy keep the faith keep the faith Finish the course. Amen. Finish it well. This is my last statement as a lead pastor. I thought it through. I thought pretty good. We'll see. God's always had his eye on the finish line. But he also is very concerned about how we arrive at the point of our destination. I hope I have served my time in such a manner that it could be said of me. What was recorded in verse 16 we read at the beginning of this message. God is not ashamed to be called his God.
Father. <laughs> what an awesome journey. Could have never imagined. But what a delight you've been to us. Thank you for every person in this building. Thank you for an awesome staff. Thank you for a board. Men who love God. Thank you, Lord, for all the labors and all the volunteers from the first day to this day. Lord, it's all recorded. I thank you, Father. We're going to stand before you someday and hear you say, well done, you've been good and faithful servants. Lord, we want to complete the faith that was begun. I want to honor those of the past, but I want to stand today in my faith, Lord, and worship. And Lord, according to the word, this faith we have today that sometimes we can't see is going to end in sight. The old songwriter said it. When I get home, my faith will end in sight. Be glorified, Lord, in our lives and the future of this church, Lord, to your will, Lord, and to your service, to your glory. And I ask you, God, to take the leadership, whoever and whenever, make it far beyond anything I've been able to attain. And, Father, there will be the living stones that adds to what my wife and my family and I have laid before them. And in that we can share. And I ask it to be done for the glory of Christ. Amen.